Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good morning. See, they did better for me, Keith, than they did for you. I'm just, just throwing that out there. It's all about training, right? We are going to be continuing on in our series that we've been going through this year, talking about the different things we are continually devoted to as God's people, as was represented and presented to us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we are right now in the Uh, almost to the end of our discussion of what it means to be continually devoted to the breaking of bread. We spent a lot of time talking about that image, the idea of Jesus taking a loaf of bread and, and breaking it and sharing it and giving it out among the disciples that were with him and what that meant and that symbolized the fellowship that they had together in breaking that bread and the the unity that they had, as mentioned over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and the purpose of it, and examining ourselves and our standing in the covenant in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But it does leave open for us one last thing to talk about, and I don't mean by last that we've been exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but one last thing we are going to talk about as we talk about the breaking of bread. And it is an idea that we sing about particularly in one of my favorite songs, Come Share the Lord, which I want to read those words to you briefly. We gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. For through the loving Son, the Father makes us one. Come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord. No one is a stranger here, for everyone belongs. Finding our forgiveness here, we in turn forgive all wrongs. He joins us here. He breaks the bread. Due to some technical difficulties, the audio cuts out for a couple of minutes. and We will pick back up right where the audio comes back in. You don't get a simpler food item than you get than unleavened bread. And, and fruit of the vine... Um, for us, we just pop a top off of a, of a, a con- plastic container and pour it out. I mean, it, it, it's that simple. But even in the old days, before you had refrigerators and packaging, you squished grapes. That's about as simple as it gets. I mean, there's nothing complicated about the current feast that we gather every single week And we focus on what Jesus has done and who he is and the covenant he has established. It doesn't get any simpler than that. We come together with simple items to remember an amazing thing. We commemorate the sacrifice. We celebrate the victory he had. I mean, but there's nothing overly complicated about what we're thinking about. I'm not saying it's not significant. It is the most significant event of history, but there's nothing complicated about it. It's not a hard thing to do. 
I'm going to be honest, though. The thing that makes it most difficult for me is the idea of the fellowship that happens that I am doing this while absent from the Lord. You know, we have passages where Paul talks about how, you know, we are absent from the Lord while in this body. That, that this feast, while I do it in memory and in thoughts of Jesus, I also do it separated from Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus isn't among his disciples wherever two or three are gathered together. I am there in their midst. I understand those passages. I understand there's a sense in which he is there with us as our host, as come share the Lord says. But there's also a sense in which we are remembering a Jesus we cannot yet be with. We are remembering a Jesus that we are separated from because we are contained in these mortal shells, and he is not. He is there. And this feast, while it is wonderful and simple and significant and something that we enjoy week after week, it is also a reminder to us that this isn't it. That this isn't really what, we're, what the goal is. Our goal is not to gather together to eat bread and drink juice. Our goal is to gather together there at the banquet table of the Lord, at the marriage feast of the Lamb. That's really what this table reminds us of, that there's still something better to come. And I, I tell you, we gather around this table and I get excited. I get excited that while, while yes, he is here with us and yes, he is in a, in a way handing us this bread that we are participating in a feast that Jesus himself instituted with his disciples. That's exciting, but it's not nearly as exciting that one day I get to eat this with him face to face. And that, that, I think, should take us to the next level. You know, you've got all of these literal descriptions of heaven, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've talked about this. This is literally the same list of verses I put up last time we talked about heaven, not because I'm lazy, but because I'm trying to bring to remembrance in your mind the things that we've already talked about. Uh, that there are dwelling places in John chapter 14, that there's this description of a throne room and a temple with the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, that we're going to be surrounded by believers, that there are displays, according to Revelation 7, uh, uh, excuse me, of Revelation 11, of thunder and lightning and earthquakes and a great storm and just the power of God will be displayed in this place. That there is to be gold and gemstones and gates made from single pearls and a tree of life and a garden-like existence uh, in a place that's described in terms of the Garden of Eden. And that God is the light there and that there is no death and no tears and no despair and no disease and that things will just be wonderful there. And we look at all that and we're, we're excited about that. And we're excited about that, I, I think, because of things we've talked about in the past, that heaven is described as that place that fulfills our needs 
To the poor, they get excited about the richness of heaven. And to the depressed, they get excited about the happiness that, that is there. And to the hungry, they get excited because there's a feast laid out for the saints. And to the beaten, it is comforting to know that there we won't, we won't be in danger of being beaten anymore. We will be comforted by God himself, the God of all comforts, as he's described in Second Corinthians 1. To the dying, it's eternal life. To the lonely, it is a place of community. To the tired, it is described as a place of rest. And that, to me, over the years, has been what's gotten me excited about heaven. To know that it's always described in terms of needs. That God is one day going to provide for me every need I have and I will be satisfied in every way I can imagine. And so even if my need isn't listed there on the screen, the pattern is set up, is it not? The, the, the pattern is set up. What if I'm a person who feels betrayed? Is heaven a place where I have to worry about that? No. Uh, what if... What if my problem is, is that I'm diseased? That, that I'm just racked with pain all the time? Heaven is a place where that goes away. It doesn't matter what my need is. What we're guaranteed is that heaven is the answer to those needs. Not earth. Heaven. But just recently, probably in the last six months, I, I've had... I won't say new thoughts, but maybe developed thoughts about my understanding of heaven that I've never thought about before. And you probably have. I'm, I'm going to put up this next screen and you're going to go, are preachers that dumb? I mean, that, that, that might be your response. I, I don't know. But I'm really excited about this next thing that I want to share with you. I, I wrote a, a short article about it a couple of weeks ago, so some of you have already been exposed to some of the things that, I, that I'm going to talk about here, but I'm excited about this next piece, this next idea of the way heaven is described, that you take the same description that we just had up on the screen, and what you find is heaven isn't just about supplying our need, but it is about supplying our need with God himself. That it's not about possession, it's not about environment, but it's about relationship. And I don't know why that's shocking to me, because think how much of the gospel is termed within that idea of the answer is a relationship with God. And the descriptions of heaven are the same. You know, turn with me over to John 14. John 14. Here's where we have that, that description that, that has been, uh, I, I think, poorly put in terms of having a mansion in heaven. Uh, not because that is necessarily inaccurate, and if that's the way you want to picture it, perfectly fine. But I think there's a, a, a more exciting picture here that it's not about having your own dwelling place, but it's about being in God's dwelling place. That, that to me, is way more exciting than having a... a 15-bedroom home in heaven one day. I mean, listen to what Jesus says here. First, verse 1. 
Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way why I'm going. Now, the description here is not of a community of mansions, but it is of a a series of rooms in God's house that we get to dwell with God, with Jesus, in God's house. That God hasn't prepared for me my own dwelling place, but God has said, you are my child, you belong in my home, I am preparing a room for you there. And and that, in and of itself, is exciting. I'm thrilled about that. I'm thrilled about the, the concept of location, But here's what excites me a little more about this passage. is that Jesus says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Take you to myself. Jesus is inviting us home to be with him. Isn't that even better? That, that it's not just about location, but it's about relationship. That we are invited to come, and, and I, I, this is a horrible parallel, but we're invited to come spend the night with, with our buddy, with our friend, with our, with our companion, that he has invited us to come and dwell with him in his house, but not just for the night but for eternity. This, this, is, this goes along with the concept of adoption, does it not? That, that because we are adopted by our Father, according to Paul in the book of Romans, we are invited to come and live in his house, not as a guest, but as someone who belongs there. We get to come live with God. That's amazing to me. Heaven described in in some places as a throne room. A throne room. A, A room that we get to enter and be in God's presence. There's no longer separation physically like we experience here. We have fellowship with God, but we are not in his presence, literally speaking. But we get to be one day. We get to be around the throne of God. We get to see God sitting where he belongs. We get to bow down before him and cast our crowns at his feet. We get to be there in a way that God's people have never been able to be there. When you look through history and look how many ways in which God separates himself from his people from the Garden of Eden on. In the Garden of Eden, they got to walk in the cool of the day with God when God would come down. But what about the rest of the time? The Garden of Eden wasn't God's throne room. It was a place he visited 
with Adam and Eve, but it was not a place he dwelled with Adam and Eve. And then after sin ruins our relationship with God, there's always separation. When you get to Mount Sinai, God is on the mountain in a great power and a great storm and great great display of fire, and there are boundary stones placed around the foot of the mountain that the people were not allowed to pass because they were not to come into the presence of God. When you get to the tabernacle, there is a large veil that separated the people from the place where God's footstool was. Not only were they separated from God's throne room, they were separated from even seeing God's footstool. Temple same thing. By the time you get to the New Testament and Jesus dies on the cross and we know the significance of the veil being torn in two when Jesus is is hanging on that or when Jesus dies and we talk often about how that was that was symbolic of God erasing the separation that was between man and God that there no longer was to be a, a most holy place where man didn't belong. Yes, That is true, covenantally speaking. But it was not true in practical terms because God is still on his throne and we are still on this earth. But one day that won't be true. One day we will be in the throne room of God. We will be seeing the worship and participating in the worship. That's about relationship. That there is no longer anything that separates us from our God. That we can be before him and we can see him as he is. And we can worship him with a knowledge of who he is in a way that we can't do right now. I love that, that all the descriptions of the gold and, and the, the beautiful descriptions of, of, the, uh, of heaven... Even the the, the jewels, the foundation, gemstones on which heaven is built, all that mirrors what God set up for the temple. And what do we know about the temple? The temple, while it was built, like the furniture and such, built out of acacia wood, it was overlaid with gold, at least the pieces that went in the temple or in the tabernacle. Well, what about heaven? Even the streets are made of gold in heaven. Not overlaid with gold, made of gold. Because as rich and beautiful as the temple might have been, it is nothing compared to the true temple of God. Because there, richness abounds in ways we cannot even imagine on this earth. And and the gemstones that... Uh, that the priest had those 12 gemstones that were on the breastplate that the high priest would wear as he went into the presence of God, those gemstones, the heaven is built on a foundation of 12 gemstones. So as as brilliant and, and beautiful as we imagine the breastplate of the high priest, heaven is built on that kind of beauty. Isn't it amazing to see? You know, we, we talk sometimes as we go through the book of Hebrews that this idea that, that the temple and the tabernacle there uh, specifically was built 
on as a shadow of the real thing. It's a mere shadow of the real heavenly throne room of God, the real temple of God. We get to be in the real thing. We get to experience worshiping God not through a priesthood and not through a distance, but we get to worship God unhindered with no hurdles, no barriers, no walls in the way. We get to come before God because the sacrifice that made that possible sits at his right hand as a resurrected Lord. That, that's what we have to look forward to. We, we, heaven is described as having the, the tree of life there. Uh, and and that, that brings back into our minds this image of the Garden of Eden. That the Garden of Eden was a place where man could walk with God because sin was not yet in, uh, interfering in that relationship. Heaven is a return to that. Heaven is a return to the concept of walking with God in the cool of the day. That's what we have to look forward to. And God is the light continually, we're told, over in Revelation. Meaning, he's present continually. We're told specifically, and we sing songs about the fact that there is no night there. There's no night there because God is the light. The reason there's no night is because God never goes away from there. The Garden of Eden, they had God on at moments. But in heaven, we have God always. And he is always shining before us. He is always lighting our path. He is always making things clear and known. He is the light that makes living there possible. He's our comfort. He's our comfort there. You know, here we have times of comfort. We, we have moments. We have moments that are bad, too. And that's why we need comfort. And, and here, we know God is the source of our comfort, but we also take comfort from one another. And we're told to comfort one another with the comfort with which you've been comforted over in 2 Corinthians 1. You know, we, we, we have to continually come back to being comforted here on this earth. But not there. Our comfort is ever with us. It is always present. It will always be a place of continually feeling good. And that, that's exciting. And then you have these statements. Turn with me over to Matthew 26. When Jesus establishes the, the Last Supper here, Starting in verse 26, he says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on, until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Now, I've wondered about that expression for, for many years. Because different people apply it in different ways. And maybe this is in reference to, I won't drink this again until after my resurrection. And so people have taken that idea and they compare that to the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples and there he broke bread with them and handed it to them. And maybe that was, that was the fulfillment of this statement. I, I don't think so. The next time we really read of this happening, as far as my memory serves, is after Pentecost. When it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I, I can't think of a specific place. Maybe I'm wrong, but I can't think of a specific place where it is clearly Jesus celebrating this supper with his disciples. But he says, I'm not going to do this again until... I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. I kind of wonder if Jesus here isn't telling us that this is something we will commemorate in heaven. That this is something we will gather together around the table and we will break bread and drink juice in order to remember all the things Jesus has done and the covenant that made are our forgiveness possible and our hope possible, that, that this is something we will continue to remember and continue to take part in forever. Luke chapter 22, verse 16. You have the same story, but it says there in verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 18, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Is Jesus here telling his disciples that there is a feast waiting for them? A feast that, that isn't just a memory of things we imagine and believe because of faith and because of what Scripture says, but a feast in which we will gather together around a table with Jesus himself, and we will see our risen Lord, and we will praise him and honor him as we break bread and drink the cup. And that excites me. That this feast isn't just a, a time where we come and we remember bad things that happen. But it is, a, it is a, 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 a picture of the good things still to come. That, that, makes, me, that makes me excited. Makes me excited. It, that is a feast that I can anticipate. And very possibly it is a feast that is in reference to us of a banquet that's going to take place in heaven. Uh, Isaiah chapter 25 Isaiah 25 and verse 6. Over here we're told, On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, 
a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, a sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the redemption that comes through the Lord and and that when we gather together to, to celebrate that feast, it will be a complete celebration because God will truly have taken care of everything by that point. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he will eat with me. Revelation 19. Here we've got another picture starting in verse 7. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, The words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I'm your fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so again, this idea of of the marriage feast of the Lamb, that there's this feast, this banquet that's still to come, and that we as God's people have that to look forward to, to anticipate, to get excited about. This feast that we gather around this table week after week, and we each we eat such simple bread, and, and we drink a small little sip of juice. It's it's small, it's it's easy, but it is merely a shadow of the one that's still to come. And we gather around this table in the presence of Jesus and the presence of God, but we will gather around that table with Jesus and with God. And just like we talked already about the idea of being given a a room in God's house because that shows we belong there, notice we are the marriage, we are are the bride of Christ. When, When there is that table set up in heaven that is filled with with choice meats, as it talked about over there in Isaiah 25. And we've gathered together to worship the Lord. When we've gathered together to eat with him, we belong at that table if we belong to him. That that is such an exciting thing. We have a practice in our modern-day wedding ceremonies or, or receptions where there is the, the, the husband and bride's table. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you've got this reception, and 
kind of front and center, maybe even up on a stage, depending on the facility. You've got that one table that's decorated better than everybody else's. It, it's the place of honor. And, and, and everybody else is seated at all the other tables, and, and, and they're, you know, it, it's nice to be there, but it's not the place of honor, right? That, that, that one table up in the front. And, and, and everybody else kind of sits down and they wait for the bride and groom to finish with pictures or whatever it is they're doing as they prepare for the reception. And, and, and then they come in. And, and if there's a DJ, he announces, I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. And they, they walk through and everybody stands up and they applaud and everybody's excited to give honor to this husband and, and, and new wife. And, and they get to walk through smiling from ear to ear, super excited to sit down and not actually eat the meal prepared for them because they're too busy talking to people, right? I mean, that, that's typically the way we, we do these weddings these days. And it's exciting to be there and to see. It's really exciting to be the one being honored and in heaven, that's us. In heaven, we're, we're not just a guest in the room, but we are the bride of Christ. We belong there. We are invited to that meal because we belong at that meal if we belong to our God. That, that's thrilling. That is absolutely a feast that we can anticipatingly wait for. That's a feast we can be excited about. And, and I hope that as we week after week pass these trays around and we, we realize the simplicity of it and just, just you know, we, we, we do our best to focus our mind on the, on the task at hand of thinking about and remembering Jesus and celebrating his victory and what he made possible through the covenant established by his blood. And we, and we, we spend that time at, at, at thinking on right things. One of the things that you add to your list of things to think about is just how exciting it is that one day, one day, after the final day, when eternity has begun, we get to sit at the feast table of Jesus. I hope that you, you chew this bread and you drink this juice knowing that this is nothing compared to what we have to look forward to. It's an incredible feast for which we wait. And that's something I can be continually devoted to. I, I, I can be week after week excited about that. Week after week, I, I can be thrilled about the fact of, of this. This might be real easy and simple and, and not, you know, honestly, I'm, no offense to whoever prepared the bread today, but I don't get overly excited about unleavened bread going in my mouth. I just don't. Not because it tastes bad, it's just it, it's unleavened bread. It's not steak. It's not choice meat. 
but I'm continually devoted to it because it leads to choice meat. Or even probably more accurately, it leads to breaking bread with my Savior. And that, that's thrilling. If you're not a child of God, if you're not, uh, if you're not one of those who belong to the family of God, think about what you're missing out on. Think about the fact that you're, you're not going to have a room prepared for you. Why would you risk that? Think about the fact that there's, there's no name placard at the table of Jesus for you. Because you don't belong to him. Think about the fact of all of the amazing things that God's people will get to witness and be a part of for eternity. You won't get any of that if you don't belong to God. So I encourage you, if you've not put on Christ in baptism, you've not repented from a life without him, if you've not said yes, he is so good, so amazing, so awesome that I want him to be in charge of my life. I want him to be my Lord and my master. Today's the day to make those decisions. Today's the day to put on Christ in baptism so that you have a room prepared for you and a place at the table. I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, come forward and let us help you. As we stand Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.